Pastor Chad here with the Take and Read podcast. Wanted to bring to you a special episode. Recently was able to preach uh, at, here in my local church, in my home church, uh, on the topic of biblical literacy. And so I'd take a look at a passage of scripture, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we look at truly what God's word is, its nature, its purpose, what it accomplishes, and the importance of understanding it for a believer, for us to have and experience that new life in Christ. So I uh, hope you enjoy, I hope you're challenged, but I hope that you're filled with the word of God and the confidence that he loves you. Enjoy. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. You may be seated. I always wondered as a pastor if someone didn't have you sit down, if you would stand the whole time. Like eventually someone's going to be like, all right, I'm tired of this. And they would sit and then everyone else would, right? Well, I'm Pastor Chad. I am the mobilization pastor here at FBG. Pastor Kevin, our lead pastor, is still on study leave. And we are grateful for him to be doing that, that we can pray for him and that he has time every year where he gets to dedicate himself to seeking the Lord, being in the word and hearing from the Lord about the following year. And so continue to pray for him. But it's also fun because it gives guys like me opportunities to preach. I get to have a rep here, so I'm pretty fun. All right. And I also have a table. Dad's away, so we're going to try new things. <laughs> give it a shot. So excited to be here with you today. There was a story uh, several years ago. Uh, you may have remembered hearing it. But it was a story about a 17-year-old girl in Britain that while at work collapsed. Now she didn't die, but she, she collapsed. And when the paramedics came, got her, rushed her to the hospital, uh, it was interesting. She, they, they weren't quite sure at first what was going on. She had an extremely swollen tongue and they were like, what is this? Well, what they find out over time is that this girl for at age 17, for the last 15 years. So since she was the age of two, her diet was almost exclusively McDonald's chicken nuggets. Like, for real. Not like she liked them a lot and she ate them a lot, but almost exclusively. She said every once in a while she would veer from that and have toast for breakfast and maybe some potato chips. But other than that, it was exclusive. Now, parents in the, in the house, you guys know, there's sometimes your kids just lock in on something and they can be picky eaters. And this mom wrestled with that too. She tried all kinds of things to get her daughter to eat anything but McDonald's chicken nuggets. But nope, she, that's what she picked and that's what she ate. And it caught up with her. She was extremely malnourished. The amount of sodium and fat that was in her system caused the inflammation in her tongue and all kinds of other stuff and caused her eventually to pass out. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking that, well, that was McDonald's chicken nuggets. Had it been Chick-fil-A, different story. <laughs> but if there's anything this story tells us, that man cannot live on breaded chicken alone. 
Joking aside, there, as we are in this passage, or in this series, rather, of walking through the Word, Pastor Kurt last week did a great job of informing us of the need to know the Word, that this is something that is a necessity for the believer, and, and that will be continued today, and we'll even begin to explore understanding the Word, not just to know of it, but to actually know it and what it says, what is God saying to us. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is drawn out to the wilderness and is tempted, and the enemy tempts him with, as he's hungry and fasting and shows him a rock and says, we'll turn this rock into a loaf of bread, and Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone, but, but by the very word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's indicating that we're not purely physical beings, that we're physical and spiritual and part of our ability to live and to thrive, it depends on the word of God. That not only are we physical, we are also spiritual and that our appetite, our diet has to contain the word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, if you're like me, and when I first became a Christian, I knew that that was true. I knew that I should read the word. But it was hard. I remember thinking back to it and first of all, was extremely intimidated by the word of God. I didn't know where to start. It was, it was daunting. There was so much. There was so much that I didn't understand and couldn't relate to. There were all these different names I couldn't pronounce and locations I'd never heard of. And uh, it, just all of the cultural stuff, it just was so distant. And so what resulted for me was infrequent encounters with the word. They would oftentimes be fractured. I didn't quite know how to piece things together. And so I was, I was very discouraged and I just didn't know how to even approach it. And then for me, what changed is I became, I kept hearing about how important this thing is, the Bible. You should read your Bible, you should read your Bible and here's some steps and here's some ways and here's a, a Bible study and, and even, so when I was a brand new believer, like I'd been a Christian, oh, maybe six months, my youth pastor came to me and was like, hey, you wanna lead a Bible study on the book of Revelation? What? <laughs> what? So there I go to Barnes and Noble. That was a bookstore back in the day. And I'm like, okay, where to start? And I actually found and purchased a book that said Revelation for Dummies. <laughs> wow, do not recommend that book. <laughs> I had no idea. But what changed for me was not only the continual encouragement by people I trusted, my youth pastor and other friends, other adults in the congregation, my friends as parents. But it also, I would begin to spend time. I would be encouraged, I would be taught. And over time, I would begin to develop a better understanding and even a hunger. And so as we continue, we're gonna look at a passage that was very instrumental for me in how to approach and gain understanding in the word. We're gonna be looking at 2 Timothy chapter three. So if you have your Bible, open up to that. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in the uh, front or in the pew back behind you or in front of you. 
You can also scroll down in your Bible if you have it electronically. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And as you turn there, I want to give you some context. So Timothy's a letter written by Paul, who's an apostle. An apostle simply means messenger. He's been one who's appointed and and selected by God to carry the message of the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. That's Jews, God's chosen people, Gentiles, those that are not God's chosen people. And now they have been selected to receive the gospel. So Paul's a messenger. And one of his companions and disciples, one of the young men that he had invested his life into was a guy named Timothy. And we understand a little bit about their, their first encounter and how Paul met Timothy was when he was on his missionary journeys. He meets Timothy's mother and grandmother and learns of this young man's faith and obedience and consistency. And so he invites Timothy to join him in missionary journeys and then puts him on assignment in different places. One of the places that he was on assignment when he wrote this letter and 1 Timothy was in Ephesus. And we know of Ephesus, there's a book in the Bible called Ephesians, which is a letter Paul wrote to those believers and he communicates with them also in the book of Acts. So Timothy's on assignment in Ephesus and he's teaching and preaching there. Now, the reason why Paul wrote this letter is Paul's in prison. He's in Rome, he's under trial and it's not looking good for him. He's aware that the end is near. In fact, at one point in this letter, he will describe that his life is about to be poured out as a drink offering, that it's almost over for him. As much as he would desire Timothy to come visit him and he encourages him at the end of the letter, please come soon, it's getting cold, I need a heavy cloak, I need some new uh, materials, please come soon if you can. He also recognizes that it's very, very possible that he never gets to see Timothy again. And it's also very possible that this is the last communication he will have. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you are faced with the reality that you may only have a limited time to tell somebody something important. When I was going through uh, cancer and chemo treatment, I remember one particular evening thinking about, okay, I don't know what kind of cancer I have. I don't know how long I have to live. I don't know what's gonna happen. And I started to just feel the weight of, What do I need to make sure my kids know before I leave? If you had just one text message, one email, one conversation left, one phone call left with somebody that you dearly care for, what would you talk about? Would you wanna tell them about the Rangers game? No. You would dial into things of severe importance, things that they're gonna need to know and hold on to for the rest of their life. And that's exactly what we find here. In 2 Timothy, in the middle of this letter, we see what Paul is driving out. He has deep concern for Timothy. In the first letter, he had concern for Timothy and shared some things about false teachers and some other challenges that Timothy was gonna face and that ramps up in this letter. And so let's jump into the text with that kind of context looming around. Let's read the scriptures and see what they have to say. Starting in chapter three of 2 Timothy, verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have known or sorry, in what you have learned and firmly believed. 
You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, so what does this say? What is Paul saying to Timothy? Notice first in verse 14. But as for you, immediately makes you go, something must have happened right before this that he's now contrasting. He's contrasting what Timothy ought to do against what he ought not to do. And so right before that in verse 13, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, so right away, there's an indication that Paul is telling Timothy, unlike those imposters, deceivers, those that have been deceived, he'll also call them foolish. Unlike those people, which he'll describe other places as those that have departed from, the truth, have left what they know and have gone on to other things. Sometimes he'll even call people by name. Man, wouldn't that be a bad place to be? You get named by Paul in a letter that lasts forever as the one who departed from Christ or deserted Paul in his time of need. Whew, be rough. So he's identified people that did not continue. And so when he says to Timothy, and he doesn't just say it, but he commands it. It's an imperative word there. But as for you, continue. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Don't depart from it. Don't leave it. Don't get old with it. Don't get bored with it. Don't kind of find other snazzy new things you need to believe. Don't, as the culture comes in and tells you other things or tries to convince you of other ways, he says, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Why? Well, he starts out and gives a list to Timothy. He says, well, first of all, you know those who taught you. You know the people that taught you. And earlier in the letter, he references Timothy's faith as inherited from his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. He says, you know who taught you. And he also references himself. Earlier in verse 10, he, Paul says of himself to Timothy, but you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with all the persecutions. You've seen it. So one of the things for Timothy is he knows who taught him these things, the things that he's firmly believed, the things that he's supposed to continue in. And why is it important that he knows the people that taught him? Well, because he's, he knows it's not just lip service. They taught him and lived it out in front of them. He saw them from an early age teach the scriptures and walk in them day by day as challenges came. Paul came and, and taught him and he's now observed his faith and his practice, his endurance through persecutions. Talks about his conduct and his love for others, his patience. So Timothy has not only heard these things, but firmly believes them because he saw them lived out in front of him. 
Paul goes on. You know who taught you and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures. So he reminds him that it's nothing new. But he continues in what he's always continued in. From his youngest days, a Jewish boy would have been taught the scriptures, the Old Testament, and would have been steeped in them day after day, memorizing volumes of them. And Paul affirms him that this gospel, this good news, it's what you've been acquainted with from your infancy. You've seen it on display in the life of those who have loved you most. You've seen it on display in my life and it continues to be the same message you've always known, so continue in it. You know it. Notice also he references them as sacred writings. That word sacred, some of your translations may say holy. Refers to this idea that these writings are different. They're set apart. They're different than any other writings or ideas or books that might be out there. There is something about these that are peculiar. They're set apart. And they're not equated to anything else. They're different. And so he's referring to the idea of the Old Testament. And we, what we can do is we can step back and go, well, yeah, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, just realize that when Jesus comes and he teaches and proves that he's the son of God in power by nature of his resurrection, that means anything that he taught or affirmed is also sacred and true. And so all of the gospels now come to the table as sacred writings. Then he empowers and calls 12 that he calls apostles. They will be his messengers. And he promises that his spirit will come. When he leaves, the Father will send one, the Holy Spirit, that will give them understanding and clarity into everything that he taught them. And so then they wrote it down. And their writings now are equated as sacred writings. And then along comes Paul. And in 1 Peter, Peter equates Paul's letters along with the other sacred scriptures. And so now we have clarity that the New Testament as well as the Old Testament is categorized as sacred scripture. And what Paul is telling Timothy is continue in these teachings. He also says, why should you continue in these? Not only do you know who they came from and who taught you, you've known them since you were an infant, but they also are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What he's saying is these particular scriptures, they make one wise to understand that salvation comes in no other way but through Jesus Christ. And these alone teach that. Other teaching, he is referencing that there are other teachers that are false teachers, that are deceivers, that are appealing to other things, other ways of salvation. They're moving on from the basic principle that it's only through Christ and they may be teaching other things, whether it's visions, angelic teachings, whether it's through becoming uh, like a Jew and following the old law or anything like that. They're building onto something other than just faith in Christ. And he's saying, no, these scriptures are true. So hold to them. So then he goes on. 
for all scripture is inspired by God. Some of your translations may say breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, training in righteousness. This idea, and I think this is, man, if you haven't underlined this, this is key. Paul is telling Timothy that all, not some, not most, but all scripture is from the mouth of God. His communication to us. It's unique, it's set apart, and it's his. It's not made up by man. It's not clever arguments. It's not some vain philosophy. He's saying all scripture is actually God's very breathed word to us. And when we, when we say that phrase, when we look at the whole of scripture, inspired by or breathed by, we understand that to mean that as prophets and teachers and apostles and those that wrote these texts, they were human, they were men, yes. They had their personalities, they had their cultures, they had their way of writing and communicating. But it means that if all scripture is breathed by God, that ultimately whatever he wanted to communicate to us through these men, through these authors has been communicated to us. Make no mistake, what he wants to say, he has said, and he said it perfectly in this text. And that's what Timothy needs to know. It's all breathed by him. None of it's man-made, none of it's some kind of fascination or hobby horse or imaginary story. It's all breathed by him and it's profitable for four things, teaching. It informs us of new things, things that we didn't know. When we first come to the scriptures, it tells us that we're sinners. The culture tells us we're not. The culture tells us, no, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. But the scripture says, no, no one is good, no one is righteous, no, not one. That we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we go, ooh, I don't know if I like that. But it continues. And it says, praise be to God in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation for those who are in him. If you are in him, as broken as you know you are, you're in him. And so his body and his blood has been given for you and there's salvation in no other name under heaven. It tells us new things. It also rebukes us. Rebuking is when you are confronted in a behavior or an activity that is contrary to what you say. When you say, I believe this, or I am this, I'm a Christian, I believe this about the world, I trust the Bible, and yet you live a different way, a rebuke is when somebody says, hey, you say you believe this, but you act like this, that doesn't match, and then you are confronted. That's a rebuke, and that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God, as we read it, it challenges us, and in the quietness of our heart, and we read it, and we are confronted with that, the Spirit challenges us and says, no, do not sin in your anger. Do not respond that way. Do not be selfish. So, it rebukes us. It also is profitable for correcting. That means when we are going down that way and we've been rebuked, it gives us clarity on how to turn around, how to course correct. That's what the word of God does. There's no other words, there's no other text, there's no other book that it's gonna give us course correction like this. 
The New York Times bestseller list is full of a lot of self-help books, but none can hold a candle to this because they all rely on you to fix yourself. This book tells you you need the spirit of the living God to correct you. And fourth, training in righteousness. It teaches us and tells us and gives us repetitions on how to live the right way. To live righteously is to live according to God's design. And his design is for us to flourish and everyone we encounter to flourish, to bear fruit in their life and to live an abundant life. And this scripture has the power to do that. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what Paul's trying to do here is to encourage Timothy. He doesn't need anything else. He needs to continue in the word of God because he knows where he got it from. He knows who taught him. He's known it since he was early on. He knows that it's the only message that makes one wise to understand faith in Christ alone. He knows that it's actually from God and he knows that it's profitable and gonna equip him for every good work. And there's nothing else that can do that. There's no other resource. And so he's trying to encourage Timothy because the temptation is real. He starts out his letter to Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel or of me, a prisoner. Well, why would Paul need to say that if it wasn't a real temptation? If it wasn't a real temptation to go, ugh, I don't know about this Christianity thing. I don't know about being all in for Jesus. I don't know about being a Bible thumper. It's not always popular. And so, Timothy, the temptation was real. I think sometimes we can look at these texts and we can look at these people and go, man, if only I would have been there, it would have been easier to stay faithful. No, the temptation's real for Timothy to stay the course. And Paul's writing it because there were others that started out really strong with him that have since departed and deserted him because it got tough. He describes it as the cares of this world became too strong for them. So it's not a given that Timothy's gonna maintain. And Paul is deeply concerned in this final communication that Timothy just gets it and stays with it. Stay with it, bud. And so the temptation's real. And I think when we read this, we have to recognize it's very real for us too. It's very tempting to depart from the simple but true message that Jesus saves and nothing else does. It's very tempting for us to go, well, by continue, you mean I just come and hear the preaching on Sundays and we're good? By continuing in it, you mean I've heard it once and I basically understand it so I'm good to go? No. We have an epidemic in the church of biblical illiteracy Far too many people don't know the scriptures. And if you're ignorant of the scriptures, you will be ignorant of God. It's his word. We are at a time where the Bible is more accessible than it's ever been in history. You could pull out that little square device in your pocket or your purse, that phone, and access right now in seconds over 100 translations in English. You could access the original Greek 
the Hebrew. You can access dictionaries that parse and show you exactly what those words mean. And yet, we don't know the Bible as well as the previous generation does or generations before that. And I think it's for several reasons. I think we are malnourished and we're content with nuggets. I think we're distracted. I think that the, the Bible, for some reason, gets displaced by Instagram, Twitter, Disney+, YouTube, Netflix, email, anything else we can find. Well, why? Well, I think we're disinterested. I think we wrestle to see it to be relevant. How can it possibly inform me on how to make a decision between moving to this or that place, taking this or that job, whether or not I should be in this relationship or not? What do I do about all of the political issues that are at play? It, it's an old book and it's really hard to understand. How can it possibly be relevant? I think we get discouraged because it, it can be confusing, it can be daunting, it can be intimidating because we don't know where to start and then we don't know where to continue and man, if you start that Bible reading plan in January in Genesis, it's only like a couple months and you're in Leviticus and you're like, what in the world? Why am I supposed to build a two-foot parapet around my roof? I don't even know what a parapet is. And so we can be discouraged and confused, intimidated. And then sometimes we can discount it. By that I mean we don't necessarily say the Bible's not relevant or important, but we find other things are equally important. Other voices, other authorities, we say are on par with the Bible. And so for those reasons, I think we tend to pull away and just relegate it to the side. And we have to understand, if you continue in that way, you're going to be malnourished. You're gonna be overwhelmed with doubts. You're going to listen to other voices other than his, and they're not voices that want your life. They, they don't want you to live, they want you to die. They're voices that are gonna tell you you're not good enough, you're certainly not smart enough, and people don't actually like you because if they knew who you really were, they would be disgusted. You're not valuable, you're not loved. Right? Those are the voices that permeate our culture and our hearts. This is the only voice that says, I love you and I know you better than you know yourself. God's voice has to be louder. It's the only one that's true and it's the only person that actually knows us. And yet he loves us. So we have to. Well, how do we do that? How do we gain understanding? For me, there was a couple of things that I think emanate out of this text. First of all, we have to understand the nature of this book. It's not a common book. Yes, I've labored that point. It's a spiritual book. And if it's a spiritual book, then we need spiritual guidance. We have to have a guide. If you've ever explored the inner space caverns or you've gone to other caverns, if, there's a, if it's a tour guide, we'll take you down there. And at one point, they'll want to demonstrate to you how dark these caverns are, what life is like without any light whatsoever. And so inevitably you'll get there and one of those tour guides will have you all huddled up in a space and you will have seen kind of some lighting in the caverns and it's spooky and noisy and there's water dripping and it's cold. And at some point they'll turn the lights off so you can just experience pure black. And you're like, whoa, that's dark. 
and then they crank the lights back on. And then from that point on, you, you kind of, you make sure you're really close to that individual because you realize as you go deeper and deeper into this cavern, it is expansive and it's confusing and you need somebody to make sure you get out of that cavern. Well, the scriptures can be like that. We need a guide and thanks be to God, he has given us one. We must first appeal to the Lord himself and his Holy Spirit to guide us. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, open my eyes so that I may behold wondrous things from your law. A lot of times we think the law is hard and harsh, but this psalmist says, no, I just can't see it. And admits, you need to open my eyes so that I can. Help me see wondrous things from your word. In John 14, Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, speaking to the apostles. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. And so he's promised that his spirit will be sent and will come and will teach us and guide us. Thanks be to God. And so we must first begin with our appeal to him. Lord, please guide me. If you start at a point where you're like, I don't even kind of, when I admit it, I don't really like to read the Bible. Well, that's where you start. Lord, please help me to like your Bible. If you're like, I, I, I want to, I, I agree, it's important, so I read it all the time, but I'm so confused. Well, then start there. Lord, please help me understand. I'm so confused. Help me see, help me understand. Give me something today that I can understand. And as Kurt Sparkman pointed out last week, keep a journal, write things down that you notice, but also write things down that you don't understand. Make a list of all the funny names and the things you're like, I don't get that. This seems contradictory. What do I, what do, I do with this? Hopefully that pushes you into community with other people that are reading the Bible and you're like, hey, can you explain this to me? And that leads me to my next point. It's a spiritual book and so we need spiritual guidance. Not only do we have his Holy Spirit, but he's gifted us with spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. He's gifted us. There are those of us in the room that have the gift of teaching or preaching and we're to use this to help build up the body to equip the saints for the work of ministry. There's an interesting episode in the history of the, the church when the Israelites had come out of exile. They'd been in exile for years, multiple generations. They come back in to inhabit Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple and Nehemiah records a lot of this. And in Nehemiah in the book of Ezra, you can read some of these accounts. One of the things that happens once they complete the building of the wall is they find the book of law. And when they find the book of the law, they build a little platform and Ezra stands up and takes the book of the law and begins to read it. Now these people had, were in a drought. They had not heard the word of God for years. And so they're there all day, all day, morning to evening, Ezra's reading the word. He's just reading the word and they're just taking it in. And it's interesting because it says in chapter eight that there were those there, Levites and others, that were gifted teachers that stood around and explained and taught everyone who was present so they would have understanding what was said. God has given us guides. 
his Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit also gifts others in our midst to guide us into the text. And I think the other thing is time. One of the things we see from here is Paul appeals to the fact that Timothy has spent time in the word since infancy all the way till that present day. He was well acquainted and had been in the word. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, there's encouragement in Joshua, the book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night. We hear that phrase throughout the Old Testament, meditate day and night. Psalm 1, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of the sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. That's a a phrase that helps us understand that there's all throughout the day, while you're awake, be chewing on and processing God's word. Meditate on it and process it. And so time with the word is absolutely crucial. If, you're, if you've ever owned workout equipment, and a lot of time during COVID, people started to acquire for themselves exercise equipment so they could just stay healthy at home. But you, you know that if you say, you, yeah, I have, a, I have a home gym, I have some workout equipment, just having it doesn't make you fit. And just kind of being near it doesn't make you fit. And even just kind of maybe sitting on that exercise bike once a month doesn't make you fit. The only way you're going to be fit is if you spend regular time with that trusty equipment and engage it and experience it. The way that we're going to gain understanding with the word of God is if we spend time with it and become more and more familiar with it wrestling with it as the spirit gives guidance and utterance. One of the ways I think about it is this, and I'll leave you with this picture. During springtime in Texas, it's a fun time because there are blue bonnet fields. If you've ever driven by a blue bonnet field, oftentimes not only are there there people out there taking pictures, but you'll also look over kind of the top of it and you'll see activity of bugs. And there are flying bugs, two of which I've noticed. There's the first kind, the butterfly. And butterflies, they, they flit and fly. They kind of bounce around and they're, they're going here and there and they land on a flower. They hang out for a minute, maybe flap their wings once or twice and then move to the next one and do the same thing. And what they're looking for is nectar and they want very easily accessible nectar. Get it quick, then move on. Get it quick. And if it's not easy to find, well, then they just move on and they don't stick around if it's not accessible. Well, then there's another kind of insect, a bee. And you'll notice bees, they navigate a little differently around these things. They will land and they will crawl in, out, under, over, behind. They go around and just scotch every ounce of pollen out of that flower. And then they go to the very next one and they do it again. And they stay there and they process it. And the interesting thing is you think about the lifespan of these two insects. Butterflies, pretty, beautiful, have fun, flutter around. But as soon as the season changes and the flowers fade, so do the butterflies. They don't last but a season. But bees, well, they last because they take all that pollen as they've navigated those flowers. They fly back to the hive. They go into the hive and they process that pollen with other bees and produce honey, which is going to be sustenance for them through the cold winter when the conditions outside are not ideal, 
when the challenges from without are imposing upon them, they are nestled in with other bees, nourished and healthy. And they withstand the winter and last till the next season and the next season. We are to be like bees. We're to wrestle with the word frequently. We're to invite the spirit of God to give us insight and we're to take that and wrestle with it in the context of biblical community so that we're asking questions and we're wrestling with other people over these things. And it's in doing that that what Paul admonishes Timothy here to do, we will also do, continue in what we have learned because there's no other scripture like it. There's no other book like it. And this is the only message that makes us wise to understand that salvation comes in and through Jesus Christ alone. Praise be to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you for your word to us this morning. I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather to wrestle with your word, to hear from you, the living God, and to allow the word to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us so that we are equipped for every good work and can make your name known throughout Georgetown, Williamson County, and the world. I pray that you would guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.